0: Om Samastha Janakalyani Niratam Karunamayam Namami Chinmayam Devam Sadgurum brahmavidvaram Vidvaram Vasudeva Sutam Devam Kamsachanuram Ardhanam Devaki Paramanandam Krishna Vandijagatgurum Tvamiva Matacha Pitatvamiva Tvamiva Bandhusya Sakatvamiva Tommy Vaya ta-mi-va, you I want to talk about science and Vedanta. So I'm coming from a science background, so I'll start with the science. Science word itself derived from the word from the root scier s c i e r it means to know and science really means knowledge in sanskrit vidh means to know and veda means knowledge so science is veda that means veda means science the very root meaning vedanta means The end part of the Vedas, literally, and also the ultimate science, the essence of the total science. And this is not a phonetical statement, but it's a statement of fact, just like light travels in such and such a speed. Oh, I don't believe it. That's your problem. That's a fact. A statement of fact is Vedanta is the absolute science. Because Veda means science and Antha means this is the ultimate science. So how do you say so? That's essentially what I'm going to talk about. And if it is a science means knowledge, knowledge cannot be defined. If you go to uh, Acharya Google and ask for knowledge, it will tell you knowledge of. So knowledge of what? Knowledge of chemistry, knowledge of physics, knowledge of biology. But what is knowledge is undefinable. So knowledge can only be defined by objectification. So knowledge of this or knowledge of that. And this, that are objectifiable entities that I can objectify and know. So therefore, any knowledge that we are familiar with involves an objectification. And objectification means According to Vedanta, it is essentially that which has a qualities, attributes, because every object is different from other objects. Chemistry is different from physics, physics is different from biology, and all that. And any object is qualified because the attributes of the object differentiate that object from the rest of the objects in the world. That's what definition means. So any definition involves objectification, number one. Any objectification attribute is, becomes it's an, it's an inert entity. So it cannot be a conscious entity also because it has attributes, it differentiates from other object attributes. So any knowledge by definition here we are talking about is only knowledge of entities in the world Which are objectifiable and which are definable and therefore they are inert. That's what the statement is. Now the science itself involves, any knowledge itself involves three aspects, triputi. One is the knower, the pramata, and known is the pramayam, and a relation has to be established through pramana, means of knowledge. pramata is different from pramayam is, and the means of knowledge is only each there are three entities and they are separate from each other and by individual separation each limits the other by definition here because they are mutually exclusive now how does the pramana operate in, the, in this so this is where look at from the let's look at from the science point of view So when I say I see there are three Pratyaksha Pramana because of perceptual things but there are things that are subtle which cannot be seen and that which is agreed also by the objective senses but which can be inferred that's called Anumana Pramana where Pratyaksha Pramana becomes a validation for the Anumana Pramana according to our, our tradition. And, of course, there is a sabda pramana, which is essentially a dependable, trustworthy person where we have faith in the, in the statements. And the science itself is, science of knowledge, a knowledge of things, and things that we cannot see, at the same time, we have to infer. That's how science also agrees. Suppose I have an object here, and if I object from here to I move there so there's a change of state. How did the change of state came into picture? So, oh, you moved it. That's what you say. But from the point of science there is a force that caused the motion. That's what how in Einstein in the Newton's laws of physics says how force is defined. That which is caused an object to move from one place to other or in scientific definition, a change of state involves a force. That's the definition of a force. And Einstein, Einstein was looking for, there are different types of forces. Einstein was looking for what is the fundamental force called universal force, and he could not find it. Vedanta says there is. What is that? One becoming into many, involves a driving force because that change of state and Therefore creation involves one becoming into many that involves a driving force What is called Maya Maya is a driving is a Parameshwara Shakti we call it It's a Mayantu Purti Vidyad Maheshwaram The one who drives this and the one is the one is the Maheshwara And therefore there is a force is defined as a change in the state and that's what the science is. And that's maya shakti, which is a universal force. And therefore, the from the scientific point, Vedanta points out that force which is absolute force, which is beyond form, all your experimentally can be definable. It's a simple aspect. I'm going to just condense it because we're running out of time also, people are angry. So, if you look at the point of science, it says there is a pramata, a nowhere. There is a pramayam, is the object of known. There is a pramana, means of knowledge, to connect these two. This is what's clear. And we are talking about pramana. So, say, how do you know anything? Say, so, pratyachapram, say, I can see. That's a simple example. So, I give a traditional example. It says, suppose I'm in a pitch dark room. And someone asked me, is there a chair in that room? I said, I don't know. Why? I cannot see. Why I cannot see? It's too dark. I cannot see anything. So chair may be there. Chair may not be there. It may be existing or non-existing. Because there are only two choices. So I can use a, a, a scientific Jargon, say the probability of the existence of a chair or the probability of the non-existence of a chair is 50%. Right? Because there are only two choices. Actually, this is discussed in a different way. If you go to Google, ask for uh, Schrodinger cat problem, this is exactly what this problem is. So is there a chair there or not? I do not know. Therefore, it's indeterminate, called anirvachanyam. I don't know. But when the light is turned on, then the probability of that either a chair exists or non-existence, which is fifty percent, shifts it to hundred percent, because I can see whether the chair is there or not, or I cannot see the chair is no, there is no chair, or there is there is a chair. So now a probabilistic knowledge has become to deterministic knowledge, right? how because i can see so a pramata came into picture and a pramata is a conscious entity conscious entity is able to prove the existence of the unconscious entity which is the chair because chair doesn't say i am there so existence of any inert entity is established by the knowledge of its existence by a conscious entity. Pramata, has to be there. So without the presence of the conscious entity, the existence of any inner entity cannot be established. So, uh, the, the Swamiji was saying, what is the world? Because this existence aspect is has to be there, but the existence has to be established by knowledge of its existence. So, a knowledge existence means knowability has to be there. That means there has to be a conscious entity in order to establish unconscious entity. There, so, the swatantatram swattattvam is not there. So, anya adhina prakashattvam tadjadam. What is that? The, any inert entity is that has to be established by the knowledge. So, existence of an, an entity is established by the knowledge of its existence. In fact, this is what the lakshmidhar Kavi sees in the, that's going to be discussed in the, one of the textbooks, is the Advaita, the, the textbook is by lakshmidhar Kavi, discuss this aspect very elaborately. And... When we talk about the existence of an object, is terrible, the knowledge of existence, we are bringing, obviously, a conscious entity, number one. Now, let's look at what happens in a pitch-dark room. Sir, why you cannot see the chair? Because it's too dark. How do you know it's too dark? I can see Just now you said you cannot see anything. How can you see darkness? That I can see that I cannot see. That means I am able to see. He is a blind man, knows that he is a blind because he can see that he is blind. That means in what light I can see the darkness also. I don't need to turn the light on to see the darkness. In fact, it will not be there. So I need something else to illumine the darkness also. So I can see darkness also in the, in the pitch dark room. There's one more thing. Somebody asks, sir, are you there? Yes, I am there. How do you know? What do you mean, how do you know? I am there. So it's too dark. How do you know that you are there? That means my existence Need not be, I am pramayam. I don't need any pramana to know myself. I am there as a self-existing and self-conscious entity. No pramana has to operate to know myself. Right? Let's look some more little bit of the science now. So, now instead of chair, I'll put my hand there. Okay, you can all see me. So can you all see my hand, right? All see? Yes. Why? Because in the pitch dark room, you cannot see my hand. So to see my hand, you need a light. Right? Now th- I ask you, are you really seeing my hand? This is where the science little bit differs from the mimamsa the actually. Uh, Differ from how knowledge takes place. Traditionally, the mind goes along with the senses, grasps the objects. That's the information. But here, what really happens here? Without the light, you cannot see my hand. You need a light to see my hand. But what does the light do? Light, actually, you are not seeing my hand. I'm going to prove you that you're not seeing my hand. What happens is the light is falling on the hand it is reflected by the hand, reaches your retina, forms an image on your, in your retina, which is transmitted by the optical nervous system to your brain, which goes into a neurons. That much only objective sciences can tell. Then what happens? Then what happens? You see, how? Oh. See, you're all familiar with the computers now. You know, when you do program computers, it converts it into plus minus signs into electrical signals. Then you need a program code to convert that into software. Without the program code, the machine will not work. Hardware will be there, nothing will work. So, just as the neurons have to be translated into a software, and universal program code has been put in that converts into the neurons, into thought. Thought is a software. So therefore, a program code is almost building into the brain system that converts the objective analysis of neurons into a software called thoughts. And no science can detect what thought is. A scientist may say, God is not there, but he can, himself cannot prove that The thought is there or how we can establish the presence or absence of thoughts. Now one more thing. You see my hand, right? So in order to see my hand, you need a light. Now I'm going to tell you something else. To recognize the presence of the light where the hand is, you need the hand. Follow now, if I remove my hand, there's a light there where the hand is, you cannot recognize the light, there is a light. You cannot recognize the light without getting reflected by the hand. So the room is lighted, how do you know? A fundamental science fact is you cannot see the light. You can only recognize the presence of the light when it gets reflected. So when you look at a full moon in the night, the moon is shining. It's not the moon shining. It's only sunlight getting reflected by the moon. moon does not have luminosity. And if there's no moon, where the moon is, if the, the sunlight that you cannot see the sunlight without moon reflecting, so, number one, I need a light to see this object, but I need an object to recognize the light also. Number two. Now let's go back to this process in the, at the mental level. In the mental level, I said thought is form. How do we know? So thought has to be, thought is also inert. Thought has to be illumined by the light of consciousness that I am, and it falls on the thought, gets reflected by the thought back to the mind for me to recognize the thought. Follow? In you know what? For me to be conscious of the presence of the thought, I need to illumine that thought by light of consciousness that I am, and it gets reflected by the consciousness, gets reflected, and the reflected is what is called the knowledge of the thought. So when I'm conscious of the thought means, I'm conscious of the object out there with the attributes that is stored in the form of thought. You follow now? So what exactly I'm seeing, I'm seeing only reflected consciousness of the thought, which is only reflection of the attributes of the object outside. Follow all the order here. If the attributes of the objects are not properly recognized, maybe I may be color blind. color may be same, but what I see is not what is there, number one. I don't see complete object when you're looking at it because this side of the back side of it is not reflected. So only reflected attributes of the objects only you can see. That's what the science also will say. Only science will stop up to neurons, whereas Vedanta tells you that consciousness that I am has to join the existence of the thought for me to be conscious of the existence of the thought. That's what in the Vedanta Paribhasha it's called the perceptuality condition, where consciousness has to join the existence for me to be conscious of the existence. Follow? And that says, that how the knowledge of the object takes place in the world. So every object involves both the consciousness only reflected back to me. So I am there, plus the objects, the thoughts keep coming. And I am conscious of this thought, this thought, this thought. Now, just as I mentioned that without the reflection of an object, I cannot recognize the light. Same way, without the consciousness getting reflected, I cannot recognize the consciousness also. It's like a pure consciousness. So I need a thought. It's not a thoughtless state. I need a thought, but I have to leave the thought to see that. That because of which the thought is seen. Yachachusha na pasyati, ye na chachum si pasyati, tadeva brahma, yan manasa Namanute manute, ye na hur manomatam, tadeva brahma, so in the Khenopasya Tatham, talks about, you are seeing the hand, neti neti, leave the hand, I am seeing the hand, leave the hand, see that because of which the hand is seen, yachachusha na pasyati, you cannot see the hand, you cannot see the light otherwise. You cannot see the hand. Neti, remove the hand. Cognitively. But recognize that because of which the hand is seen. That is light. Tadeva light. So therefore, the same way, when the thought rises in my mind, remove the thought cognitively and look at that because of which thought is known. That... Is consciousness, and it's not that some that I am conscious of this, I am conscious, you are that consciousness. So, therefore, the Vedanta points out not only how, how the objective world is perceived, but you need a subject, Pramata, which is independent of anything, which is not itself, is not a Pramayam, not an object for knowledge, but it is itself is means required in order to know everything else. At the same time, it also tells you that I need either the mind or the thoughtless mind or thoughtful mind for me to recognize the consciousness. That's what, in fact, is tells you in the Chidabhasa and all that concepts. Without the mind, you cannot recognize the consciousness also as an object or without, without thoughts may not be, depending upon how you... Sh- Look at it. So nirvikalpa samadhi is not necessarily involves thoughtless state. It is in spite of the thoughts, but cognizing only that, leaving the thoughts, neti neti, and looking at the pure consciousness because of which I am conscious of the objects that are there. That shift in the attention is the meditation, and claiming that I am there, and How do I do it? Essentially, we go to the Mandukya Upanishad, Says the the three states of consciousness has been discussed there, and that's the most scientific Upanishad that I could find, where I am there and the waking state is there. I am a waker. I am there, the dream state is there. I am a dreamer. I am there, the deep sleep state is there. I am a deep sleeper. And who am I if I want to investigate? Because I say, I am not an object for analysis, but cognitively I have to drop all other states. I am not the waking state, I am not the dream state, I am not the deep sleep state, but I am that because of which I am conscious of the waking state, I am conscious of the dream state, I am conscious of the deep sleep state. And that I am is chaturtham manyante sa atma sa That is what is the fourth, we call it, it's a manyante, it's called fourth, it's not really fourth. But it goes into three states of consciousness, but different from the three states. And therefore, nanta pragyam, nabhai pragyam, the whole mantra, seven of this one, gives the essence of how I can recognize who I am. So, that, that, that has to be known by who? By the mind only. I don't have any other instruments. I have to use the mind to know that I am not the mind, but I am that because of which I am able to see the mind and also the thoughts inside the mind. I am that consciousness. That claim has to be done by clear understanding. And that's what is Vedanta is trying to point out. Because it's a pramāna in the sense that it indicates that which cannot be quantifiable at the same time because of which everything is quantifiable or everything is knowable. So that pramāta has to be there in every knowledge but that pramāta itself cannot be known by any pramāna, even Vedanta. Vedanta is only says it's pointing in the direction, not So it's not a a direct means it's not going to you. This is you. It is pointing for us to do. So you have to leave that everything also and contemplate in the direction to see how what Vedanta is pointing out. And that is why it is a science, number one, it is a Vedanta. And it's Vedanta, because it includes both the subject and the object together, and therefore it is the absolute science, and that's what essentially a true meaning of the Vedanta science also. And science and Vedanta are not really different, because an objective scientist only looks, objective science is, a, is a real, and everything is only subjective and belief system. But this is not a belief system. This is a system that has to be understood. Both the subject is involved and the object involved are together included. And in the deep sleep state, you have a state where you are beyond the space and time also, because during deep sleep state, there is no concept of time, there is no concept of space. And just for a, a, a brief statement, is space is defined as a, a gap between two 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 simultaneous observations. If I'm seeing two things simultaneously, the gap between the two is defined as space. Whereas the time is an observation of, this is Einsteinian definition, observation of two sequential events. So event one, event two, so two events occurring and the gap between the two is called the easy time. But that's what Einstein stopped. Vedanta says it's not just two events, two observations. Observation means involves an observer, which means a conscious entity has to come into picture. Therefore, event one is an experience one and an experience two. In the deep sleep state, there are no two experiences. It's only one uniform experience, therefore no time concept also but yet I am there, because I slept very well. So I am there in the waking state, I am there in the deep sleep state, I am there in the deep sleep state, which is beyond space and time, yet I am is a conscious entity and exist entity that has to be recognized using the mind only in the waking state. With that I stop here, because right at right time is that.